Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, I want to say a special good morning to all my friends here at the Warren campus. But if you're joining us in Boardman or TCI or our online family, we're so excited to have you. My name is Ryan. I get to serve as the youth pastor here. And uh, it's going to be a good morning. We're starting a brand new series called Spring Cleaning. And some of you have already been doing that or preparing your children to do their spring cleaning. There's been a lot of arguments I sense in the crowd this week over that. No, um, but it's going to be an awesome series. I'm really excited to jump into it today. And, you know, I was reading this book recently and the author was talking about a moment when him and his wife were first married, they decided to plant tomatoes. And I looked it up. It's actually during late May, early June. It's a good time to plant tomatoes. I know nothing about this. My wife and I, we tried to plant cilantro, basil, a few things like that. And after our first vacation, we came home and we had to explain to our three-year-old why it all died. And so um, I, we are not that way at all, but it was you know, fun to read this. And so as he was doing this, this was their first time ever planting things like that. And the first time, the first harvest, they had hundreds of tomatoes uh, after this thing. And he was like, man, this is easier than I thought. Or so he thought, because if you've ever had tomato plants before, one of the things you can discover is if you just plant tomatoes, you can have hundreds of tomatoes at first, but year after year, you can slowly diminish them. And he didn't know this. His novice mistake was he found out that tomatoes require a ton of nutrients from the soil. So if you never take care of the soil, then you will always have diminishing returns with the tomatoes. And I got to thinking about it and you know, I'm a pastor. So I'm always reading things through a lens of like, oh, that'll preach, you know? And I was thinking, there are so many areas in our life where we want to do better. We want to be better. We want to do more for God, more for people. We want to produce. We are expecting production. And yet many of us, we don't realize that we are depleted. And I, I really believe there is a great need within the body of Christ, within our church to replenish the soil of the soul. That if you go out and only focus on outcomes, but you never focus on your inner being, that you are going to feel depleted. That you're always gonna be feeling like there's more you should be doing, but you just don't have the capacity to do it. And I was beginning to think about this and one of the primary nutrients of the soil of the soul, so to speak, to me is the nutrient of joy. I wanna welcome you to this new series, Spring Cleaning. Today, we're dusting off joy. We're looking at the importance of joy when it comes to following Jesus. I, I found this interesting quote from a doctor uh, named Dr. Jim Wilder, and this is what he said. The ability to build joy is the strongest predictor of mental health across a lifespan. So when you look at people, when you're studying their neurology and when you're studying how they are going to be with mental health, one of the greatest predictors that we can have is their joy. Do they know how to have joy in their life? As a follower of Jesus, I think this is absolutely crucial. I've become convinced over my lifespan that joy is the best fuel for obedience to God. That if you're gonna actually follow God doing the hard things that he's asked you to do, that joy has to be at the center or you will burn yourself out. And maybe today you're feeling burnt out. And so many of us, we want this joy. Neurologically speaking, we are constantly looking for joy. But so many of us go to what I call pseudo joys. These are the things that 
we go to them and they can temporarily ease the unpleasant emotions. They can temporarily ease or curb those feelings, but they can never truly give us joy. And we know this, that if you are in a low joy context in the soil of your soul, you are primed for addiction. Now, maybe you're thinking about the heavy hitters. We always do when we talk about addiction. We think about, you know, sexual addiction. We think about substance addiction. We think about alcohol. Those are the heavy hitters, right? But so many of us are actively addicted to our phone and to social media and to shopping, which Amazon has not helped that. Sometimes it's like you, before you even order, it shows up at your doorstep. You know, I mean, this is what Prime has done to our world, but it's shopping and it's sugar, right? I mean, these are the things that we do to curb this, these feelings of unpleasant emotions in ourselves, recognizing that these are not actually giving us long-term joy in our lives. And so maybe the question that you came in asking or didn't think to ask, but I'm gonna help you ask today is how do I find joy? And this question takes on a new light to me because every weekend I talk to people in the lobbies, I meet with people throughout the week and I see people that are going through ridiculously hard things. They have the chaos of life. They have the pain and suffering that can accompany life. This is not even to mention what happens in places where you see shootings and you see things happening that just cause so much suffering in the world. And we say, how can I to find joy in the midst of a world where suffering is present? How can I find joy in the midst of what I'm going through right now? So today I'm excited to be able to bring this message to you. And I've, I was thinking about where did this message come from for me? And I was thinking there's probably three sources that have largely influenced my life when it comes to talking about joy. The first is God's word. I really believe that he who finds God's word finds life, that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, that if you want life, then you gotta find God's word. And so what he has to say about joy has deeply shaped how I see joy. The second thing is actually a book. And if you're interested and if you're a reader and you wanna know more about how can I cultivate joy in my life, I wanna recommend this book to you. It helped me understand the neurology and the, the brain side of joy. It's called The Other Half of Church. It's by uh, a, a psychologist and a discipleship pastor. And they both looked at it and they started to figure out how can I include joy in discipleship? How can we help people have spiritually full brains as they follow Jesus instead of having half-brained Christians? So that's kind of the, the concept from that book. So a lot of the things you hear me talking about neurology, this is where it's coming from. The third place that has really shaped this message in my soul has been my own life experience. In fact, I don't know if you've ever had this, but there are certain messages that bubble up that I call life messages. And I know you may not be a preacher, but I bet you could think there's probably been a few key things that God has taught you in your life. I believe God wants to teach you things every day, but I'm guessing there's been a few key overarching things that you could look back at your life and say, yeah, this is one of the major things God has taught me. And for me, there's been two of those and one of them has been joy. How do I find joy in my life? So maybe a good place to start is really with the question, what is joy? Most of us, when we think about joy, we think of the Webster's Dictionary, we think of pleasure or gladness, right? This is what joy is to us. But there was this interesting work that was done out of UCLA by a doctor named Alan Shore. And as he began to study the brain and the neurology of everything, he discovered that joy is a central part of our brain, but it is not just an abstract concept. That joy is actually something that derives in relationship. And so this is his definition of joy. Joy is someone who is glad to be with me. It's a very different picture of joy than what we normally think of. He, he, in other words, he also uses our being the apple of someone's eye. 
that this is joy to know that I am around someone who wants to be with me. And as I was wrestling with this, I was like, yeah, but is that God's definition or is this just some neurologist out in, you know, at UCLA? But then I started to think about how God has worked in my life and what has been able to give me joy in many different seasons of my life. And I started to think, you know what? Maybe they're onto something. I started to think about Psalm 16, which says that I find joy in your presence. And then my mind instantly went to Numbers chapter six. This is the great high priestly blessing that we see. And here's what it says. Maybe you're familiar with it. It says in Numbers chapter six, verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you're to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And I've heard that phrase so many times. I've sung that phrase a lot of times. I, I've, I've, I've been there, done that, but I never really stopped to think about what does it mean to have God's face shine on you? And the picture that is painted here through the Hebrew word is, is this idea of it's the proud beam of a parent. You know, my wife and I, we, we have two kids, one a three-year-old and one one-year-old. And oftentimes when they're sleeping, we'll, we'll go into their rooms and we'll just stare at them. And I trust me, if you're not a parent, it sounds really creepy. It's not as creepy as it actually sounds, um, you know, staring at people while they sleep. But we'll just go in and we'll stare at them. And maybe it's because they're not screaming at us in the moment, but it's just so peaceful. And we get so much pleasure just thinking about like, ooh, what, this is awesome. We have so much pleasure in this child. And, and this is what God is trying to communicate to us. This blessing that they were given, that God commanded the priests to give was a blessing of God's smile on them that God was pleased to be with them. Look what the New Living Translation says, the NLT. It says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. Isn't that eerily similar to what we were seeing out of UCLA that, Joy is knowing that someone is glad to be with me. And so today I wanna to rock your world by saying, look, joy is not just some abstract concept. It is not just something you feel just isolated from connection. It is deeply tied to your relationship with God and you're deeply tied to your relationship with people. Knowing that God wants to be with you, that God takes great pleasure in you and knowing that people do the same. And this is why, I know I'm gonna get a lot of hate mail over this one, but this is why chocolate cannot give you joy. And I know I saw some mean looks in there. I'm gonna have you repent after all that. And here's why, because chocolate cannot smile back at you. It can't look at you and say, I'm so satisfied just spending time with you. See, it can make us temporarily happy and maybe give us a nice little sugar boost, but it cannot bring us joy. Joy is relational. And I think about this, it's so important for us to know this, that joy doesn't supplant emotions, it supersedes them. Supplant means to tear something down and put something up in its place. And this is what so many of us try and do with our emotions. We say, okay, God calls me to live a joyful life, so I'm gonna tear down anger, I'm gonna tear down sorrow, I'm gonna tear down frustration, I'm gonna bury them real deep inside this soul pocket I got and hope that never bubbles up to the surface and I'm just gonna put on a smile. 
But what's so cool about joy is that it's almost like a supra emotion. It's something that can go above, it can supersede, it can transcend. Joy is something that can be present in the midst of the other emotions. It can combine with them, it can synthesize with them to create a joyful experience no matter what you're experiencing. And this is why if you lose your job, you're probably not gonna be happy. You're, you're probably gonna be frustrated or embarrassed or ashamed. But if you know God is with you, you can still have joy. Think about when, when you lose someone in your family. It's a relationship. It's someone, rightfully so, you're not happy in that moment because you lost someone you care about. But what happens? You gather together with people that all gather around and you're so excited to be, you're so glad to be with each other. And you start sharing stories about what this person said and did and who they were and their quirks. And, and you started sharing what they did for you and, and who they were to you. And so in that moment, you could be going through intense grieving and yet also feel joy because you know that people are excited to be with you. They're glad to be with you, that God is with you. And this is revolutionary because if you understand this, you know that there is a pathway to joy in every season of your life. If you are going through the most difficult part of your life right now, you have a pathway to joy. Think about it this way. What enabled Jesus to endure the cross? It says it was the joy set before him that made him endure the cross. Joy was not absent from Jesus' experience. It was present. It was a catalyst. And this is an important concept because you have to understand joy helps us to do hard things. I was thinking about the doctor in this book and he was talking about how he's a clinical psychologist and he owns this clinic and he would have people come to his clinic that had been rejected or maybe not rejected is the right word, but people had been, they had been so heavily traumatized throughout their life that other places couldn't help them. So churches or whatever would say, hey, we tried, we couldn't help this person. So they, his clinic was really designed for those people. And so they would get into these sessions with people where they try and help them go through their trauma. And there's this pattern that started popping up where people would have to be hospitalized because they were experiencing such intense trauma. And so him and his coworkers just all assumed, yep, I guess that's just a normal part of the routine. Someone wants to heal from trauma, they're gonna have to get hospitalized. And then he discovered that joy gives us the capacity to build. It gives us the capacity to endure. And so what he began to do with his clients is before they would delve into the hard work of dealing with their trauma, they would build joy together. They would start to cultivate joy so the person could experience joy. And what's so powerful is that as they began to do this, hospitalizations almost diminished to the point of none, that no one was getting hospitalized. Why? Because joy gives us the ability to endure hard things. Joy is a key indicator of resilience. If you have joy, you can endure. And does anyone see the parallels of following Jesus and the necessity for the nutrient of joy? Because following Jesus can be very difficult. Yes, we love when God is with us and he's present in our lives, but sure, there are so many things that we do that are hard. There are so many things, even the mundane and the, just the day in and day out of what it means to be a follower of Jesus can just be difficult. Being a parent is difficult. Being a husband or a wife, it can be difficult. Being an employee, it can be difficult. And so if we do not have joy, we are gonna be like people that run a marathon without having eaten in a month. We need joy, it has to replenish our soil of our soul. And so once again, this is a great case for why joy is so important, but how do we find it? How do we find joy? And I was thinking about this and maybe the better question is not how do I find joy, but maybe the better question is how do I build joy? 
Because joy is not just something that you stumble onto. I believe it's something that is cultivated. It's something that can be built in your life. I was thinking about a season of my life, which I would easily, at that point, it was easily the most difficult season of my entire life. I don't know if you've ever had a season where you wake up every day knowing that that day is gonna be a battle. But that's what it was like for me for five years. Every single day I would wake up knowing that I had this giant thing looming and it was, it was just tough. And I don't know if you ever had a season where it's such a tough season that even later, like a decade later, you're still dreaming that you're in that season. Anybody ever had those moments? I sometimes in the middle of the night will still like dream that I'm in this season. I wake up and I'm like, thank God I'm not there anymore. That was my season of life for five years. And here's the worst part about it is that I was receiving this difficulty specifically because I was following Jesus in the way that I was. It was by saying yes to what Jesus had called me to do that it actually put me into this fire. And I hated it. But I knew that God had called me there. And so I knew I had to be there. And I was just depleted. I was discouraged. I was running on empty. And I remember I had a moment where I was with my parents and they were incredible encouragement to me. And there was a time we just prayed together. And parents, I just wanna say this to you. Don't, don't underestimate the importance of those just little moments where you teach your kids how to, to connect with God in difficult seasons of life. For me, this was really something we did kind of consistently. And I'll never forget there was this one time we were praying together, my mom and my dad, and, and I was just discouraged. And I remember my mom had a prophetic word. And if you're not familiar with prophetic words, a lot of times we think of prophetic words as like, this person's gonna be president and this thing's gonna be the global meltdown. Um, a lot of times actually in the New Testament, what you see is that prophetic words are actually just giving each person what God wants them to know to su succeed in the season they're in. So a lot of times it's a next step. A lot of times it's a key insight or a perspective. And so I remember my mom had this prophetic word and it was so powerful because it enabled me to see things in the way that God did. And so I actually wrote it down. I'm gonna let you read it. This was on October 12th, 2010. And it was such a meaningful thing for me because it ended up being the key to me, not only surviving this season, but to being the person God had called me to be. Here's what she said to me. She said, the pressure, and I really believe this was God speaking. He said, the pressure for results is not on you. You take the light burden of having fun. Place the other one in the hands of God. Remember the smile from T-Ball and when, and when you would hang out with your childhood best friend. That's what I'm calling you to. The whirlwind of confusion that was around you is gone and has been replaced with peace. And I remember as God, as she shared that, it was like God gave me these mental images of back when I was in T-Ball. And I was a pretty serious little guy, man. I wanted to win. I was, you know, I was kind of focused. But there was such a different pressure. There was such an innocence. It was just a joy. And I, I was thinking back, it took me back to these moments with my best friend growing up when we didn't have anything important to do, but we just laughed together. And there was this lightness. And instantly God revealed to me this pathway to this is how I'm asking you to proceed in the midst of the most difficult season of your life. And so I started to put it into practice. And many of you might be aware of this, but oftentimes if you begin to obey what God is telling you to do, it can also lead to resistance, that there's more situations that come up or it can lead to more challenges. And so I, I started to put this into practice, but then some things came up that just kind of knocked me off my rocker. I mean, they were just, they, they were just the types of things that made me feel so discouraged. I, I kind of gave up doing what, what God had told me to do. I stopped kind of smiling and going back to that place and 
So I, for the next two years, I started getting more and more depleted, more and more discouraged, more and more maybe even depressed, just to this point where like, I just don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't know if I can keep saying yes to what God has for me. And I'll never forget, it was coming out of a January fast, which we do every January here at Believer's Church. And God spoke something so clearly to my heart. And it was taking me back to this word my mom had given me. And then it was also this verse in Philippians chapter four. It's a little chunk of verses right here. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And it was like, I knew once again, I had to commit. I had to be a person that chose joy. If I was gonna go down, if I was gonna fail miserably, I was gonna fail as a person of joy. And so every day, this was my reading plan for six months. Every day I read that same chunk of scriptures. And I began to discover that God in this makes himself responsible for a few things, but he also makes us responsible for a few things. God promises to give peace that'll guard your heart and mind. That's what he promises to do. We can't do that. He can do that. But he also compels us or he speaks to us to say, you have responsibility too. And what I discovered is that it was my responsibility to rejoice. It was my responsibility to pray prayers with thanksgiving. It was my responsibility to do that. And it was his responsibility to give me peace. And so that's what I began to do. I began to smile as an act of faith. It wasn't fake, it was faith. I said, God, this is brutal, but I'm gonna smile because I trust that you're with me and that you're here with me. And so in that darkest season of my life, I could say that I knew God was with me. And what's so amazing about it is as I began to just choose joy, the things that I had been so beaten up by, I started to beat them up. The, the things that I had been believing God for, I started to get breakthrough. I started to see answered prayers. In fact, by the end of that five years, everything completely turned around. The situation itself turned around 100%, 180 degrees, but it all started because in my soul, God gave me joy before the situation ever aligned. Before the circumstances could ever make me happy, before the happenstance led to happy, God gave me joy in my heart. And so I am genuinely convinced that we need joy in our life to endure, to re be resilient, to persevere. And so once again, the question becomes, how do we do this? And I wanna give you a little exercise that they, they teach in this book. And I've started to put it into practice in my own life and I've seen just powerful things from it. And it's this exercise where you begin to think of moments, you take five minutes of your day and you begin to think of moments where you remember God being there. And so for you, it might be you were out in the wilderness and you, know, you were at the hunting stand or something and you just remember God's presence. I, 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 I created what I call a joy catalog. It's like, it's just moment after moment where I knew God was with me. Some of them are really delightful moments. Some of them are incredibly sorrowful moments, but I actually felt God's presence in those moments. And what you begin to do is you begin to not only thank God for those moments, but you begin to actually relive them and refeel his presence in those moments. 
It's almost like you put yourself back there, just like my mom taught me to do with that moment of T-ball or with my best friend. It's like you relive it. You start to just refill what you felt. I call it thankfulness in 3D. It's like you're thanking God for what he's done, but you're refilling those emotions. And maybe you can only think of one, then spend time thinking about that. And so every day I have what I call my five minutes of joy. I just spend time filling my joy tank. I just close my eyes and I just think about those times. I relive them. And I think, God, what were you teaching me in those moments? And what's so cool is what I've discovered is as you begin to go down the pathway of joy, you begin to discover it's so much easier to walk. I start to think of not only things from 10 years ago, but things from 10 minutes ago or 10 days ago, that every day becomes these opportunities where I see God's presence so much more clearly. And it builds this joy in my life that I couldn't have had otherwise. And so one thing we have to begin to do is be intentional about building and cultivating joy through this exercise. And so I call it my joy catalog. I just got you know, different events. I wanna encourage you to do the same. But there's another aspect to this that if joy is relational, that we have to be around people that are glad to be around us. It's so interesting when they talk about this, they say, be very careful about who you build joy with. (laughs) Be very careful because these are the people that you will feel so immensely connected to that you don't wanna do it in unsafe or in unhealthy ways. But we need people who are godly people in our life that we can just build joy with, that just are glad to be around us. And this is why for us, we are convinced that you can know God and find freedom, not just because we believe that this is the house where God is. It's because you can know that God is excited to see you and that when you jump into a connect group, it's not just about jumping into a place where someone can teach you things. It's not just about correcting your life. It's about being around people who are genuinely excited to see you. If you are missing that, then your discipleship will feel dry and empty. And you can say, oh, I love watching online and we love you online. But I'm telling you, there's something about face to face. There's something about knowing that this person is just glad to see me that changes how we interpret our situation and gives us joy. And this is why phones can be so dangerous, right? Because you could have your whole family and you could be hanging out together, but not experiencing joy because you're not looking in each other's faces, Neurologically speaking, they say that even FaceTime doesn't do the same thing as just looking at someone face to face. And so not only are our phones dangerous in the sense that there's a direct, you know, purport, uh, there's a direct causation between how much time you spend on your phone and how depressed you are, or how much time you spend on your phone and how little joy you have, those are directly linked, but it's also that you're diminishing the time face to face that can actually build your joy. And so I felt challenged in this because it can be so easy for me to just run to a screen when I'm tired. But instead, I've just decided I wanna show pleasure with my kids. I I wanna build joy with my wife. I wanna build joy in the relationships in my life. And I'm an introvert, so I, I love reading a good book and I love getting away, but I can never fully fill up my joy tank without connection to God and connection to people. And here's where I wanna finish this today because I recognize that the crux of this message is simply built around this idea that God is pleased to be with you, but some of you honestly can't say that you think God is pleased with you. In fact, you're convinced, maybe you've even heard that Jesus loves you, but you're almost sure he doesn't like you. And I just wanna say right now that maybe, I don't know what it would be like without, without Jesus having come and, and paid the sacrifice for our sins where he redeemed us, but I don't really have to think about it, what it would have been like without that, because now I have something else. When Jesus came and lived the life you were supposed to live, dying the death that you were due to die, not only did he wash away your old mistakes, he gave you righteousness with God. In other words, he gave you his resume with God. So it's as if 
you've never sinned when you come into Jesus Christ because his blood has washed you and made you clean. And what's so cool about this, check out what 1 John 3 says. It says, see how very much our father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are. In other words, the moment you come into the kingdom of God, it's not that just you have all of your sins washed away, you become a child of God and God looks upon you with the same pleasure that a father looks upon their child. Jesus became the great high priest. And when he did, we know that we are now have access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but number six sounds like a spiritual blessing, doesn't it? To have God's favor upon you, to have his face shining upon you. And so when we have Jesus Christ who has washed us and given us his righteousness, his resume, we can know, we can come before God with confidence knowing that God is actually pleased to be with us. And I, I wanna say that to you today that I know you're messed up, me too. We don't have to be put up any fronts about that, okay? We get it. But it's not about your performance, about, it's about Jesus. Jesus did enough for you if you came into a relationship with him to make God pleased with you. This is what he said in Luke chapter four. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the good news. And the final thing he finishes that with is saying it is the year of the Lord's favor that God has pronounced. It is time for people to be in the favor of God. That God is pleased. He loves you. Now, does he want you to change the knucklehead things you're doing? Sure. But it's because he loves you. It's because he's pleased with you. He wants the best for you. And so, Today, we're gonna to finish service in a little bit of a different way where we sing a song that talks simply about this, of how we want God to bless us. And I, I wanna encourage us to do that. But before we do that, we're gonna jump into a time of prayer. And I wanna encourage you today to feel God's presence, to feel how much he loves you and cares for you. Would you pray with me? Father, today I recognize that there are so many people here that are depleted. They're running on empty. My prayer is that you would fuel them, that you would fill their tank with joy. There are some people here that have had incredible loss over the last two years and they are truly in a battle right now. And I'm just praying, help them to see how you've been with them in the midst of it. Help them to see the joy in relationships in the midst of it. There are people who feel isolated and feel like they don't have relational connection. I'm praying, bless them with relationships. Bless them with people who are just glad to see them. I wanna make an invitation as you stay in this attitude of prayer to be born again, to be adopted into the family of God. We said it very clearly that Jesus is God he lived the life you were supposed to live. He died the death you were supposed to die. But he rose to life again on the third day so that you could have life with him, so that you could be resurrected. But the only way we gain access to what he's done for us is by saying yes to it, is receiving his invitation. And so today I wanna invite you into a relationship with Jesus where he becomes everything. He becomes your king, he becomes your Lord, but he also becomes your savior. And if you've come to a point where you realize, yeah, I have faith to believe upon the name of Jesus, then I wanna encourage you, pray from your heart knowing that God will save you. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
You could even be at a different campus. You could be at TCI. You could be on, in your car listening to this on a podcast, but God still can save you right where you are. And so we're gonna pray a prayer together. It's a prayer so many in this room or online have prayed before, but I'm gonna encourage you to pray from your heart knowing that God will save you. And church, I'm gonna ask you that everyone would pray it so no one feels singled out. Would you say this with me? Say, Jesus, I need you. I know I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And right now, I confess my sins. Give me a clean slate. Jesus, I believe you're God. You died for my sins. You rose to life again so I could have life with you. Jesus, you're the Lord and the King of my life. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.